0: We are continuing this week a sermon series out of 1 Corinthians, and it's about what life is like with God. 1 uh, Corinthians is an epistle. Uh, they are very practical books of the Bible, letters written by early Christian leaders uh, to young Christians and young churches uh, in places uh, that had accepted a faith in Jesus, uh, that had decided to believe in God. Uh, but, like a lot of us we 're often struggling to just walk it out in daily life uh, so what is it what is life like with god is is the question uh, and you can uh look at you this morning. you are in a church you 're in church congratulations uh yeah, which Which, when you think about it, is an odd place to be. There's nothing else quite like church. There's nothing else quite like uh, the Jesus Church. You have uh, decided, uh, most of you, uh, to commit to meeting regularly uh, with folks from various walks of life, different ethnicities in our church, different nationalities. And you are identifying together as a people. You are coming together to somehow worship our one God the God that we share to discuss Him, to meet with Him, and to love one another in His name, to experience Him in some fashion. We are creating community here, and we're creating community truly out of nothing uh, because, uh, you know, we wouldn't be hanging out together if we did not follow Jesus, right? And that makes us rather peculiar. That makes us different in the world uh, and this sort of gathering happens all over the world. Uh, there are very few places on earth where the Christian church does not gather in these little local uh, assemblies like this. There is nothing else like the Christian church in all the globe. There has been nothing else like it in all of history. Truly transglobal, truly transnational. Trans-ethnic, people coming together, building families out of nothing because of this fellow Jesus. So that's what you're doing this morning, whether you knew it or not. So congratulations. Um, I frequently felt out of place in churches uh, when I was younger. Uh, I was introduced to Jesus in a church, uh, a great little church, but I was very young. I wasn't a big part of it. My family moved around a lot, a whole lot uh, when I was young. And I was never in a church for too long, you know, I was friendly with some of them, but I couldn't say that I was ever, like totally part of the fabric uh, of, of, you know, of of a church body. Um, And when I did manage to attend church, particularly when I got older, uh, they all seemed to be, they all seemed to have some sort of culture that I didn't quite know, right, I couldn't quite understand. I was kind of a socially marginalized kid to begin with. And I would walk into church and it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't quite get it. I mean, there, there's some sort of behavior that I should be manifesting. It seemed like there's some subtext that I'm just missing uh, when I was in church. Um, I remember when I was young, I, would, I, was, uh, I guess I was about nine years old. And uh, my, uh, my grandmother would take me and drop me off at uh, this church, this church of a Nazarene which is a very strict denomination. You know, you go to a Nazarene church, it's known as a holiness church. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't play cards. And uh, there were a few other prohibitions that I didn't know about. Uh, so I was in uh, Sunday school one morning uh, with the other kids, and um, we were uh, talking about what we had done that weekend. And I was really excited uh, because uh, I had gone to a movie. I had gone to a movie theater and, and watched a watched a film, which is something that I rarely did, uh, and I mentioned it, uh, little did I know that strict Nazarenes did not go to movie houses. And there was a hush in the room. And to this day, I remember the Sunday school leader looking at me with his lips kind of pursed. you know. And I realized later, he was calculating, well, how, how do I handle this? How do I correct this kid? I don't want to embarrass him in front of, of everybody. Um, and I walked away from that meeting knowing I had made a mistake but not knowing what it was. Uh, and maybe some of you in early church experiences had uh, a similar uh, encounter. I, I think I may be a little wrong, but I don't know why. You know, something going on. Church culture is a, is a funny thing. Uh, but I kept going to church whenever I had the opportunity. I, I would go. And if I... would I reflect on it now. I ask myself, well, why did I as a little kid do that? It was because I was convinced somehow that church was important. That somehow church was important to God. I could not have articulated for you why I believe that even. I just, I had somehow picked it up in my following of Jesus as a child. I feel like church is important to God. This kind of gathering is important to the Lord. My question for you this morning. Is it? What do you think? Is it? And if it is, why? You know, what's going on that's so important? When we were, uh, you know, about five and a half years ago, and we were just a group of believing friends wondering if we should plant a church. This was before uh, Blue Water. Uh, We were hanging out and had done some ministry together, but we were afloat in the world, um, not having uh, a regular church gathering to uh, attend, Uh, we were talking about whether or not we should plant a church, and the conversations were illuminating because many of us did not want to do a church like this. We didn't want to do some sort of church gathering. Uh, I remember people saying stuff like, you know, church is not who we are. I remember that phrase in particular. Church is not who we are. Let's do ministries instead (laughs) was one phrase. Uh, Let's Let's just work in the world. You know, let's do cool stuff on the streets. Let's represent Jesus uh, out there. Uh, I don't want to have to stage some kind of big gathering or meeting like this. Um, And, you know, there was something to that argument because Jesus only mentions the word church in the Gospels twice, whereas he mentions the phrase, like, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, well over 120 times. You know, it, church gathering like this does not seem, you know, did not seem to be a huge part of, of his passion, if you just kind of take it at face value there. Um, you know, obviously, there were other parts of that conversation Uh, And we didn't want to be just a nice meeting for people. We didn't want to be just a staged Sunday gathering, um, which I think is is what people were really talking about. And uh, I'm happy to say five and a half years into it, I think we are more than that. We are more than just a staged Sunday gathering. Um, In fact, this probably is by no means the biggest part of what we do as a fellowship. Um, We concluded... That the kingdom work that we wanted to do in the world would not be possible without the building, without the gathering of a community, a gathering of togetherness, a building of a church like what you see here. And here is one truth about life with God. If the question of 1 Corinthians is, what is life with God like? Then I think one truth is before we are anything in the world, we need to be something together. Before we're anything out there in the world, before we are the light of the world that Jesus talks about, we need to be something together. We need to establish a unique sort of togetherness. Otherwise, we are likely to fail at our mission. Now, granted, I don't really like what you might call church industry. You know what I mean by that phrase? Uh, you know, there often seems to be a lot of strange institutionalization in the church, and a lot of it seems really empty uh, to me. There seems to be competition in the church and divisiveness and, 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 and the sort of commercialized packaging of Christian community, stylization of presentation uh, that I don't care for very much. The church gets a lot of negative headlines today, or at least, you know, the formal church leadership Uh, Does a lot of negative headlines, and I can understand why a lot of folks might look at church or consider coming to church and be a little turned off, not really be into it. Uh, Church, I think, particularly over the past 25 years or so, has become an almost distasteful word in some places. If I say churchy to you, what's your reaction? I think of the church lady from Saturday Night Live and... Some of you are a little too young, maybe, to remember Dana Carvey, the church lady. It was just sort of a very, very religious character, Uh, an old lady uh, who uh, was, uh, pretended to be kind but then would just eviscerate the people that she talked to, you know, uh, call out their immorality and blame Satan. Remember that? Um, Well, I don't like The church industry, you know, and I might not like the word churchiness, I'm absolutely, absolutely sold on the gathering of believers uh, into faith communities, the simple and pure thing that was originally called church in the New Testament, originally called church. Uh, By the early believers and and the leaders. And the reason I am so high on gatherings like this is because it's just so clear that God is really high on gatherings like this. He's all uh, about it, all about what happens in places like this and what it represents. Empty institutionalization uh, aside, the church really is something unlike anything else in the world. It really is something unlike anything else. In world history, and it's cool to be a part of it. So, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. You might remember from the text last week, this is how he opens the letter. He says, Hey, Paul, an apostle, uh, some other people, I'm writing this letter to the church in Corinth. The Greek word there for church is ecclesia, uh, which really literally translated might mean something like the assembly, you know, just it's the, the gathering. The Assembly of Believers. Paul, I'm writing to the Assembly of Believers in Corinth. The Assembly of God, uh, I believe is how he put it. Uh, we usually translate it church uh, these days. And the letter has several themes in it. We, talked, we introduced a few of them uh, last week. Uh, themes that Paul stresses through repetition. So early in the letter, he introduces several of these themes. And then as the letter unfolds, he keeps going... Back to them. Back to them. Last week, we talked about a huge theme in the letter, uh, which is unity or the problem of disunity. And, and Paul just went after it right at the opening of the letter. He said, you know, I hear that in the assembly of believers in Corinth, there is a lot of disunity. Uh, there is a lack of accord and, and, and what people were doing. And they, they were saying, well, I'm a disciple of Paul. I'm a disciple of Apollos. Uh, who was a Christian leader who came in after Paul had planted the church and left. And it's kind of like, my teacher is better than yours. No, my teacher is better than yours. And, and, you know, some other things. Paul basically goes after that and says, that's ridiculous because we're all disciples of Jesus. And anyway, the assembly of God should be characterized by, I paraphrase it as, a culture of lowliness. You know, none of us are all that. You know, and we are dependent on miracles. We're dependent on supernatural ministry. Think of how I worked among you. You know, I didn't preach with wise, stylized words. I just talked about Jesus and did miracles. You know, unless you're doing that, be quiet and quit arguing. Uh, Disunity is not what it's like to live with God. Unity is. Jesus, supernatural living. That's what it's like to live with God. Another big theme of the letter of the Corinthians, of his conception of living out faith in this world, is the nature of church, of what the gathering of believers should be like. That's a huge theme uh, in in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, And faith apparently involves gathering together as believers. It apparently involves the assembly of people and it operates. It looks very, very unique. It looks very different, and that's the point that Paul is trying to get across. He's trying to convince people to honor that assembly, to honor that entity uh, that we have come to call church. It says a ton about church in 1 Corinthians, and that might sound boring. How many of you are excited to study church? Three of you. Fantastic. Should be a great sermon. I think it's really kind of interesting what Paul says about it as it develops. He says some interesting things. So I want to read today from the third chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, The passage will be on the back of your program as well, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 17. Uh, He begins the chapter by continuing to harp a little bit on the problem of of disunity. Um, He says, uh, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. Uh, for there is jealousy and quarrelling among you that makes you worldly. Are you not acting like like mere men instead of spiritual men? He means, for when one says, "I follow Paul," and another, "I follow Apollos," are you not acting like mere men? He's he's going at it again. But then he makes a, a, a small shift in what he's talking about. He takes the conversation in a slightly different way. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Paul was the first missionary in Corinth. He was the church planter. Apollos watered it. He came along and, you know, Uh, strengthen the church with his teaching and ministry. But God made it grow. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And there he introduces just a, a powerful concept powerful metaphor. He calls the assembly of believers in Corinth the building of God, the the field of God, the work of God, he says. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, in other words, if you try to build the church using worldly means, using impressive architecture, using cool marketing and style and entertainment or what have you, um, this work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Very interesting few verses there. We're going to come back and touch on those. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? The assembly of believers is as important as the temple. Uh, It's the center of spiritual life for a people, he says. Um, If anyone destroys God's temple, or in the Greek, defiles God's temple, God will destroy him. Dang. For God's temple is sacred. And you, and that's a plural you, you all are that temple he says. Uh, some real fascinating stuff uh, once you start to dig into that. He's, he again starts, he's still on the disunity problem, then he switches and he starts talking about sort of the identity of the assembly and how we should think about this thing that we call church. And he makes the argument that our togetherness, the way that we bind together as believers, um, which is hurt by disunity and quarreling, um, is vital to God's plan, is vital to the way that God does things. We are God's temple. We are the dwelling of God. We are his building. We are the work of God. And, and in, in saying that, he defines church as a collection of people as opposed to an institution or authority. You know, it's the ecclesia. It's the assembly. He's talking about the assembly, not some governance or something like that, just to be clear. Uh, and in that group of people, in that building, he says the spirit dwells or manifests. He said the spirit dwells in your midst. It's when you come together and as an assembly that the spirit dwells uh, most directly. I, I just have to say to that, wow, you know, that's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's a radical claim um, for those of you who are following When we come together, God's Spirit comes to be with us. You know, the very Spirit of God. Um, Paul is a Hebrew, and that was an incredible thing for him to say. uh, Because the coming of God's Spirit was just a huge deal. You know, it's why they built the temple in the first place. Now Paul says, well, it's, it's different these days. Whenever we gather together as believers, that's where God's Spirit manifests most profoundly uh, on the earth. Paul defines his own work as trying to build this togetherness, right? Uh, He says, uh, I am an expert builder. You know, I laid a foundation. That foundation is Jesus. And I tried to build up the assembly in a way that would last, is how he puts it, just like a very good builder would. uh, To make it last We have to make the people stick together. Implicitly, I think he's saying that the church, the the assembly, the gathering, that's the work that we're all contributing to, right? Because it involves all of us. This is the work. This is the mission, to gather people into the assembly. It's like building a family, sort of. You know, it's building building a, a community. Um. And, and he says rather pointedly, I think, we will be rewarded, he will be rewarded for helping build it. Alternately, we will be destroyed for doing anything that hurts it, the assembly, uh, which I think is, is rather profound. There's a lot of theology here, I think, in verses 13 through 15, if you're following along in your program or your Bibles. I'll read it again, talking about uh, the person who builds up the assembly. His work will be shown what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. In other words, it will be tested. What you contribute uh, to uh, the building up of the assembly, it will be tested. Someday it will be judged, is what Paul is saying. Um, the fire will test the quality of it. If what he has built survives, if you contribute to the building of assembly in a way that lasts, then you will receive a reward. If it is burned up, if what you contribute if doesn't last, if in some way you hurt the assembly, then you will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Uh, I've always... I've always been arrested by that by that phrase. Um, I say there's a lot of theology in this verse because the underpinning understanding is something like this: you know, we are we are saved uh, through grace and faith in Jesus. You know, you are restored to eternal life once you call out for help, call out to the name of the Lord. That's one thing, all right. You sort of get into eternal life in a way. But Paul is talking about the rewards that we will have once we get there, once we get to eternal life. He says it's possible for people to get saved into eternal life, but to arrive in eternity as one who has barely escaped the flames. You know, you arrive and your hair is smoking and your clothes are tattered, and you're like, whew, made it. You know, got nothing but the clothes on my back. You know, and there will be other people there, who have, you know, a pile of rewards, you know, they have arrived rather comfortably. And, you know, you imagine the one who has barely made it all smoking, saying, well, how did you do that? You know, how come you arrived so comfortably? What's up with that? You know, why is your um, eternal disposition different than mine? And the person who has arrived comfortably will say, well, I built... I built the gathering of believers. I sowed into the assembly of God's people. And I did it in such a way that it wasn't worldly. It was was Jesus-like. It lasted. It increased. I sowed well. I built well. And I'm rewarded for it. There is another sort of person mentioned in the scripture, the person who destroys the temple, the person who lives in such a way that The assembly is compromised. It is hurt. It is somehow defiled. Uh, You know, that person has spoken lies that that made people drift away. Uh, Purpose has promoted a lifestyle that made people drift away. And Paul has very harsh words for that person. He says, that person will be destroyed. Very strong language. I said... um, that the Corinthian church, I said last week, the Corinthian church was a mess, right? It's just, it's a crazy place, a lot of people behaving immorally, a lot of quarreling and arguing and, and discord. And in a mess like that, a Paul, will, uh, a Paul would have to crack the whip every once in a while, you know, and here he's cracking the whip. If you continue to hurt the assembly, you will be destroyed. I have to use this now. Have you guys not heard anything I've said? Better? Yes? All right. Fine. As I was saying, there's this epistle called First Corinthians. All right. Continuing on. It's, uh, I think in this world, in this day and age, it's often tempting to, to do things that uh, hurts, at least the idea of the assembly, the idea of, of, of gathering uh, together to take away from uh, the community or to inject worldliness into the way that we do uh, church. Because there's you know, a lot of competition <laughs> out there uh, or there should not be a competition from other churches competition from the world everybody wants uh your attention uh it would seem um it's often tempting to buy into the view, uh which i hear so often you know i uh i'm into god but i don't need organized religion you know because organized religion is is bad right which is why we are so disorganized at Blue Water Mission. Uh, no, this is an organization. Uh, we have organized uh, to do things. We have organized uh, to meet. I guess we are organized. I don't know if we're organized religion. We are at least organized faith. Um, I don't really know what organized religion means, but we, uh, we do need a gathering, you know, Don't really care if you're into organized religion, but you should be into gathering. Uh, It is important. Um, You need to have a unique kind of gathering. You need to have a social class busting, uh, cross ethnic, cross national, um, supernatural gathering. But you need one. You definitely do need a gathering. Uh, You need a church because it's the work of God. It is, it is the midst. Only when we gather together do we have a midst in which the Spirit uh, dwells. Indeed, the word that Paul uses to, um, to characterize church eventually is the word sacred. You catch that right at the end, which, which jumps out at me. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred. And you, again, that's a plural you in the Greek, and you all are that temple together. This is sacred to God. You know what the word sacred means? This is the word hagios in Greek, you know, special, pure, set aside, something like that. This is a sacred event. As far as God sees it. When Paul starts talking like that, I start suspecting that, well, there's something going on here that we haven't even gotten to yet. And indeed, we're going to spend uh, many chapters in the rest of 1 Corinthians uh, kind of discussing all the interesting things that happen when believers get together, why it is so very important. Uh, But his headline, the way he introduces it, the first repetition is, this is sacred, This is very, very special to God. You need to pay attention. And one thing you need to know is that if you harm what's going on here, you're in big trouble. If you bless it and build into it, you will get eternal rewards. How does that sound? I said at the outset, hey, you're in church. Congratulations. It is a big deal, evidently. There is a lot at stake. Uh. I think, the deeper I get into the kingdom of God, that I was right when I was a kid. I had this intuition that, that church was somehow important to God. I didn't necessarily see it, what was going on around me. I didn't necessarily catch it in the cultures that I was trying to penetrate. But, you know, it is important to God. It is sacred. Sacred means you do not mess with it. You know, we've been doing stuff like this for over 2,000 years now. There's a reason. It would be wrong to rein- reinvent following Jesus without trying something that looks a little bit like this. doesn't matter where you gather. doesn't exactly matter how you go about gathering, but we must gather. Before we are anything in the world, we have to be something Together. Uh, We do not contaminate what we're doing with worldly things, as Paul said, with gold or costly stones or wood or hay. It's not about the building. It's not about the style. It's not about the presentation. It's not about material goodies. Uh, We do not try to build with money or magnetic personality. We don't have any magnetic personalities here, I know for a fact. Uh, We build it only as Jesus did. And Paul hinted at how Jesus did it last week. Jesus built with love, with truth, and with supernatural power. And that's about it. That's about it. So um, my question uh, for you uh, to end is do you feel like this is sacred? I mean, you feel like this is a sacred experience. Reflect on that for a minute. Like when you arrive, uh, let's just say the Sunday assembly. I know we have different gatherings at Blue Water. But when you arrive at this Sunday assembly, do you, do you feel like you've entered into a sacred thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah Sort of? I, I mean, is that, is that the attitude that, that you come with? or is it, Do we manage to pull off that attitude uh, while we're here? I, I don't even really know exactly how to go about answering that. But it's a very provocative question isn't it? You know, sacred means special uh, to God, sanctified, dedicated to God, weird, different. I remember when I was a kid, some of those churches I visited would talk about uh, the house of God. When I'd walk into the sanctuary uh, for church, they'd say, no, this is the house of God. You must behave. Uh, Part of that was really good. I always behaved. Um, But what they were saying to me is, this is different, you know. This is This is special. Um, I think, of course I've read the rest of the letter, um, but I think one of the things that Paul is beginning to hint at is what makes us special is that this is a place where the worldly rules don't apply, right? That's what makes it different. He's already talked about that a little bit. Status does not apply here, he told them last week. doesn't matter whose teacher is better. You know, this should be a culture of, of lowliness. Uh, there are no social rules at church. Everybody's equal. There are no economic rules at church. There, there are no natural rules at church because supernatural things happen. Uh, it always strikes me when I read the histories of the early church, how the early Christians invented church, like in the book of Acts You know, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. The first church was invented in Jerusalem. The first solid assembly of believers. And and what characterized it? What did they do? Well, the first thing they did is that everybody sold their possessions and owned everything in common. They had radical socioeconomic rules. um, Quote, unquote, rules. Of course, a lot of miracles happened. It was a very supernatural place. And they had a radical fellowship. They met every day with joy and shared meals together and encouraged one another. Radical fellowship, uh, radical economy, supernatural stuff. It's pretty good pillars uh, for building a church. Um, The gathering of Jesus do their jobs when they make us check all worldliness at the door. When we walk in, we have the feeling we've left the world outside. I would love to have that feeling here. I don't know exactly all the things that go into it, but I would love to have that feeling. When we walk into the assembly, we've checked the world outside. So my takeaways from the passage, number one, I want my reward. I want to contribute to building togetherness based on otherworldliness, based on Jesus, uh, Jesus that most otherworldly of all figures. I really want my reward when I uh, get to external to the eternal life and you guys are part of that, uh, a refrain that Paul would, would uh, rehearse through all of his letters. He would say, uh, you guys, he would talk to different churches, and he would say, you guys, y- your assembly, that's my bragging rights in heaven, you know, you are my badge of honor to the degree that we build family on earth, you know, we have a resume uh, for eternity, and I like that. I do not want to be destroyed. It's my second way point. I do not want to defile this work. I don't want to ever hurt an assembly. I do not want to dishonor it with disregard. Um, it be harder for me to uh, live a life that sort of dishonors uh, the assembly because, you know, my job is to kind of show up and be here and do stuff uh, for uh, the assembly. Um, easier, uh, perhaps, uh, for you. Um, but it's a, it's a theme that we see rehearsed through a lot of the epistles of the New Testament as the author of Hebrews would say, do not, do not forsake meeting together with other believers as some are in the habit of doing. Life with God is about gathering together, and whenever people forgot that, the early Christian leaders would say, no, 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 life with God is about meeting together. Something special and sacred happens when that occurs. Meeting together, for one thing, is the only way unity happens. And to be unified with one another, it turns out that we have to overcome a lot of nonsense. We have to overcome a lot of worldliness, a lot of ego. Gathering together, relating to one another, is often what makes us become more like Jesus in in character. I am part of this temple. I am part of the holy thing that's happening here. And if that is true, then it seems to me that if I defile myself, I defile the temple. If I am a stone in this temple and I live a defiled life, I have hurt the assembly. And that is no good. And that foreshadows a theme that Paul will pick up very shortly uh, in the letter. He picks up the theme of personal morality. Um, I want to be a person that blesses the gathering through my... Personal holiness through my lifestyle uh, that makes togetherness work. And I'm keeping that in mind. And I'm asking myself a question as I finish this passage today. I'm asking myself, Am I a good church person? If you're female, you can say, Am I a good church lady? There's an image for you. Uh, But of course, I mean that in, in the best sense. Are you good for the church? Are you good for the assembly? you know? We want this to be a blessed uh, assembly. Being good for the church can mean different things. It might mean that you, um, if you're going to a slumbering church, you would be a little disruptive because churches should wake up and and embrace their calling. If you're attending a troublesome church, then you should be a bringer of peace. That would be good uh, for the church. Um, But you should not be dividing churches or defiling them. Or destroying them. It will always mean that you build the church as Jesus would, with love and truth, supernatural power. Is that a priority uh, for you? What is life like with God? Evidently, life with God in this world means making meeting together and the assembly and building the assembly a priority. That's what Paul seems to be saying. So, is it a priority for you? Is it a priority for me? It's evidently something that you will get rewarded for or punished for avoiding. Sobering. A blessed assembly. I want to bless it. I want to be best blessed by it. That is important to God. You are in church. Congratulations. Give yourselves a hand. Let's pray and let's have the ministry team come up. As is our custom, Lord, has been the custom of your people for many centuries, we gather together this morning in your name, and in our midst, we look for the presence of your Holy Spirit. If it's true, Lord, if this does represent your work on earth, then I pray that you would manifest here strongly, that you would take delight uh, in the family uh, that we have endeavored to build, that you would show yourself holy and this place holy. Come, Holy Spirit, and reveal yourself. To us, reveal yourself through us and through us to the world. I pray Lord, for a work this morning of, of knitting people in to the Church of God. I pray, Lord, that there would be uh, no stray or no straggler left in our midst. if you have come this morning and not felt apart of the assembly of God's people. Uh, Be invited in Jesus' name. You are a sacred stone to him. You are welcome. We are blessed through you. I bless you with faith and boldness. In Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen.